march in, in our speaking and in our services, and we're marching towards Easter. We're four Sundays away from Easter, and this will be the third service I've preached towards marching towards Easter Sunday morning. And it's really been easy for me to do. I tried to focus on things that in the past I have not spoke on. Uh, of course, Judas Iscariot, I don't know as I've ever really just devoted a whole service to him uh, in what we he went through and some of the other things. And today we're going to talk about preparing for the funeral. Amen? Or preparing for the burial is a better way of saying it in Jesus' case because there basically wasn't any funeral. Uh, when he passed away, they just had a very few minutes left to get him in the tomb because of the Passover and the Jewish traditions of touching dead bodies and things of that in their culture at that time. So we're going to speak about preparing for the burial today. And we're going to take our text out of John the 11th chapter. Of course, most of it will be right around the same thought there. But uh, if you'll turn there, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer and pick up and be ready for the burial. Father, we thank you again for the time that we can share together as your people. Uh, open your eternal word, learn from it, get strength from it, and be in your perfect will as we see it unfolding before our eyes. We appreciate all the testimonies. We appreciate Sunday school and, and everything that's pointing us to focus on your will. So, Lord, today in this service, let's focus on what your will was when Jesus Christ was being prepared for burial. So guide us, we pray, this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start reading in John, the 11th chapter. And I'm not going to read everything that's in it because this has to do with Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus. We've probably preached quite a bit on Lazarus. But I'm not going to focus on Lazarus near as much as I am Jesus in this particular uh, portion of scripture, but let's read in Matthew 11, verses 1 to 4. Now a certain name was a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister, her sister Martha. Now it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, John here, um, you need to understand, we're going to get into this a little more. He's just letting us know that uh, this is the, the Mary he's talking about in this situation about that anointing. Therefore, his sisters, plural, sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but, remember this, for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now, there's a whole lot in this particular chapter, and it's about Lazarus being sick, and you know all the things that go with that. But first of all, I want you to know... Um, we don't really know the age of Lazarus. How old was he? Well, it doesn't say. We don't know if he's the oldest of the three siblings, whether he's in the middle or at the bottom, or which sister is older than the other. We have no 
understanding about that, that, that is uh, left out of the scenario as we read this story. But evidently, those three siblings were close. Uh, they were tight-knit family. Amen? And when one's sick in a tight-knit family, the whole family rallies around that situation. And of course, they, without a doubt, now I don't have book, chapter, and verse to tell you this, but they, without a doubt, had met Christ prior. Because they said, it's the one you love. Lazarus, you know the one you love, that Lazarus. Oh, yeah, we know who that is. Why? Well, I'm going to say something here that um, I don't really have a, a whole lot of Bible for other than the little bit I just read to you. But I think Jesus, on going to the Passover every year in Jerusalem, must have made it a yearly stop by at Lazarus, Martha, and Mary's house to spend the night or have dinner on the way to Jerusalem. All right? Now, I'm going to show you that he bit back and forth to Bethany, which is the town, and we're going to find that in verse 18 that it's so many furlongs, and, and uh, I, I calculated this one myself, about three and a half miles, all right, from Jerusalem to Bethany. Keep that in mind. It's close. Next street, it's the next town down the street, so uh, they went there quite often. So uh, um, here we find that in verse number 2, if you notice there's brackets around that entire chapter. It starts with a bracket and ends with a bracket. And what John is talking there about that anointing that Mary did. Well, that anointing happens in the future from when Lazarus was sick. That's why the brackets are there. We're going to read about that anointing in the next chapter, but we're not got there yet. That's the, the reason for that. It tells her, tells that uh, she's the Mary that anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with the head of her hair. And he's again putting this uh, anointing into a future text. We're going to read it later. That's in uh, John 12, verse 2 through 8. We're going to get to that later. And he's going to help the readers of the gospel as they get to chapter 11 keep in their mind what has taken place. Now, along with the information we find here, we find that Lazarus was sick. What kind of sick? Doesn't say. Don't know if he had a croup. Might have been COVID. I don't know. Everybody got COVID, I think. It's what you just name it. It could have been sugar, heart problems, Lung problems, stomach problems. He could have had anything, but he was sick. Now, we know, uh, we really don't know what made him sick, and we don't know how long he had been sick. But he was sick. But we do know, just from what we've already read, that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And looks like, seemingly, he had made plans to go to their house for a meal on his way to the Passover week in Jerusalem. Now we're going to make that a little more clear as we go because it doesn't really spell it out. And Jesus may have asked if he could stay the evening. 
You know, they, had, they didn't have Holiday Inns or Holiday Express or the Red Roof Inns. They just had what they called inns in their house. Remember, Jesus went, or Mary and Joseph went to an inn to see if they could stay there when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You remember that? We found out what an inn is. An inn is just an extra room in the house that people put on there for traveling people to a place to get in out of the weather and get some rest as they travel. That was just common back then. I don't know if they charged anything for it. I don't know what the, the requirements was. But when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, all the inns were full. Everybody, he, they got there kind of late. Uh, sometimes Jesus runs a little late. We're going to find that out too in this chapter. But anyway, um, here we have, if he did uh, ask if he could spend the evening, it's because the scriptures show that Jesus is in Bethany a few different times, and we're going to point them out during the Passover week. Now, towards the end of the Passover week, we'll find he doesn't go back to Bethany. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we already found out what happens there when Judas brings the band to come and get him from there. But every night, now this is a week-long something, and Jesus has healed so many people miraculously. Lepers, blind, deaf, dumb, lame, whatever. Uh, he's healed them in his three years of ministry. And a lot of times it says when he went into the temple, and we found that out when he cleansed the temple. Once he cleansed it, everybody that was sick, everybody that had any problem, he came and healed them all. Hmm, pretty good, isn't it? Now, if somebody healed you of something, how would you repay him? Hey, you know, when you come next year, why don't you spend the night at my place? I'd like for you to do that. I'd like to just, you don't have to pay rent. You don't have to just come and be comfortable. And then you can go to the Passover from my house. We're only three and a half miles down the road. It's no big deal. Well, so we find in Scripture, it's going to make it clear, that at different days of the week of this Passover, Jesus did go back to Bethany and spent time, but not at the same house. All right? Now, when we read this about uh, Lazarus is sick and uh, then about the anointing, verse 3 says, therefore. Hmm, what does that mean? Sounds like a study word. It means based on the context, this is the conclusion. The sisters send for Jesus. Amen? And if Jesus should have already been there, but for some reason, he's running late. Now, ladies, let me ask you. Don't you just hate it when somebody's made arrangements to come for dinner and they show up an hour late? Now, Bonnie's about ready to pull her hair out after about 10 minutes. But an hour? And in this case... What if they were a day late? And in this case, how about four days late? Man, the beans would be cold in four days, brother. We're talking about leftovers now. Amen. So if they had dinner plans set for a certain time and the dinner guests are late, 
That's not a good thing. Well, as the fact that their brother was sick enough to die and one of you knew that there was somebody that could come and heal him, not only was he late for dinner, he was late for the healing. What do you do? I know what you'd do today. You'd call him. You'd email him. You'd text him. You'd send someone to get here and say, Come on, man. Get down here. We need you now. Amen? But Jesus, in verse 4, seemingly is on a different schedule than the people in Bethany. He even gives a reason for his delay. When I read it, I told you to remember it. It's for the glory of God. Hmm. Now, she should be upset because he ruined the dinner. She'd be even more upset because he didn't spend the night. And she had made all the preparations for them, clean sheets and everything. Right? And even more upset that he wasn't there to give the healing touch to her brother when he needed it. And they were counting on that. But Jesus, if you would, puts everything at right perspective by saying, uh, it's for the glory of God. Now, we're going to jump ahead in this chapter, and you can look down uh, in verse number 20, and you're going to see that when Jesus does come, there's a lot in between, but that's not got anything to do, uh, does, but not time worthy this morning in the message of preparing for burial but Martha heard he was coming verse 20 and she went to meet him evidently he was walking too slow she met him halfway amen verse 21 it looks like Martha's faith in Jesus Christ his healing ability was still strong and she said, Lord, if, that's another study word, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She had all the faith in the world in Christ, all the hope in the world in Christ, looking forward to his coming in a special way, and yet he didn't make it on time. So many times we blame ourselves, I guess in a way, for God and his timing and dealing with the circumstances we face because he doesn't move when we think he should. He's just not there when we want him to be. Amen. I think of the ones with the shoulder problems and the ones with the back problems and the ones with the lung problems. When did they want Jesus to touch them? Yesterday. You know? They want to move forward. But when God's timing is different than our timing, uh, we get a little bit uh, out of sorts. I'll just say it that way. But we need to always remember... God is always on time. Now, we're looking at it from our 
little bitty standpoint on this side of eternity, but God's got to take care of the whole world. In case you didn't know, that'd be a pretty busy job. Amen? I have trouble taking care of dude, let alone the whole world. Amen? But God's got a lot of things to do. Amen? You and I are not the only things on his schedule. His plan is much bigger than we could ever envision and say, well, why didn't you move when I wanted you to? Well, we find out the main thing to remember here is not to lose hope when God's timing is not your timing. Always keep the faith. Always trust that he's going to come through, but it's at his time and not my time. Amen? Now, according to verse number 17, Jesus showed up four days late. Amen? Or at least four days after Lazarus passed. Well, I'm just looking at how Martha visualized what was going on in them four days. Number one, Jesus ruined her dinner plans. Number two, her brother was very sick. Number three, Jesus even missed the funeral. And in verse 22, it says, Martha never lost her faith or hope because she said boldly, but I know that even now, even on your schedule, Jesus, whatsoever thou askest of God, he'll give it thee. How about that? She had strong faith in what Jesus could do. In Jesus' attempt to comfort Martha, in verse number 23, Jesus tells Martha, Martha, thy brother shall rise again. Isn't that comforting? Now, she was thinking, and of course, I'm not going to preach on the resurrection, but she was talking about in the resurrection, she felt Lazarus lived such a good life that in the resurrection, he'd get to go to heaven with Jesus. All right? That's, that's her mindset, if you want to put it that way, as a Jewish mindset before a salvation plan was put in by God here. But he, he says, it could have been that if he had uh, done it, Lazarus may have heard something that would make him want to come out of the tomb right then. Did you notice when he says, thy brother shall rise again? wonder why he didn't say, Lazarus will rise again. He didn't use his name. Well, did Jesus know where Lazarus was buried at at that point? No, they're going to reveal that once Mary comes along and joins the crowd. Now, we'll get to that as we go here. But what happens when Jesus does say, Lazarus, come forth? He does. So he's careful here not to use his name. Because he may have came out of the tomb too early. And a lot of the preparation to get him out of the tomb may not have taken place. Amen? So when he calls for him to come out, in verse number... Doo -doo -doo, i got to turn the page. 43 and 44. 
That's when he comes out, but that's when Jesus uses his name. So now, uh, but before they come to the gravesite, Mary leaves the house and comes to fall at the feet of Jesus, and, and uh, she testifies the same thing that Martha already said, verse 32, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know what? That's, that's a pretty comforting testimony coming from two different people expressing the same hope and faith. Both of them said pretty much word for word the same thing. But in verse 33, Jesus was moved by emotion, uh, the emotion of the two sisters and of the Jews that were following. And in verse 34, he asks, where is he? Well, he's dead. You know, what are you supposed to do with that? Well, you, well he just doesn't know where the tomb is. Hey, now, I can say here, I think he knew. He's God. They're not hiding anything from him. They can put him in a hole in the ground and roll a stone in front of it, and he still knows where he's at. Amen? You can hide behind all the stones in your life, and God will still find you. Amen? But he wanted to comfort them, their emotions. Where is he? Well, he knew where he was. But to engage them in conversation, rather than crying, they answered and said, come and see. That had to be comforting for Jesus uh, to them to speak to Jesus and say, come and see. And the real thought here is, follow us, and we'll go there together. Wouldn't that be nice? Amen. Now, they probably had no interest in going to the tomb of Lazarus that day had Jesus not come to Bethany. Amen. Now, I don't know how far outside of town was the funeral or the gravesite, but here we find that they come to this particular grave site uh, after Jesus is moved by his emotions, so to speak. That's what we always say. And he uh, gives them, if you would, uh, or gives us the shortest verse of the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. Amen? So we know he was engaged and connected with Mary and Martha at this point. Well, they come to the grave site in verse 39. And Jesus says, oh, that's it? Oh, well, that stone there that's in front? Why don't you guys move that? That's not something the girls could probably do because uh, the girls that went to Jesus' tomb uh, on Easter Sunday morning or Resurrection Sunday morning, they, their biggest concern was, who's going to move the stone? So it's not something that Mary and Martha probably could do. Probably not even Mary, Martha, and Jesus. But he said, Take away the stones. I don't know. He had 12 apostles. They may have been there. Some of them probably wanted to flex their uh, beastly attitudes. Yeah, I can handle that stone. Let me add it. Yeah, right. Uh, well, nonetheless, uh, it must have been a, a traditional grave type uh, that we know or read about in the, the scriptures. Basically, a grave type in the first century was a cave back in a hill back in a cliff, if you would, chisel a hole or make a hole, a cave, into the rock. And once you get inside, they chisel out enough space on the sides of the walls in there that they could take a body in and lay it 
in there on the shelf that they cut into the side of the wall. Uh, and the thing of it is, uh, they covered that, the bodies with the things that, uh, burial things of that type. Um, we know that they wrapped the head, kind of like you'd wrap a mummy head. And then they wrapped the body elongated, head to feet, up and down, that way. Laid him in the shelf. And they anointed him with perfumes and ointments, that body, because they know that uh, not long after a body has passed away, uh, there are going to be predatory animals in the countryside that are going to smell that fresh smorgasbord and want to take a meal off of that. There are animals like that in the world we live in. Amen. Now, I know there are animals even in Butler County that are just waiting on you to hit something with your car so they can get a nice warm meal. Amen. Cooked on the blacktop where you splattened it out. Amen. We know about that. But here we find that what attracts them is the smell. Amen. And because the family appears to be, in this case, somewhat wealthy. I'm just saying he appears that way because of the circumstances that come around it. They did probably have more than likely a proper funeral for Lazarus, which would include the ointment and burial uh, that they would put on there. Of course, the grave clothes and everything else. Um, we see that he had to take the grave clothes off and unwrap his head in verse 44 when Jesus calls him to come out of the tomb. So even though he had more than likely prepared the body a best that they knew how in that day, in verse 39, before he comes out, Jesus asked for the stone to be removed and opened the door to the grave. Martha speaks up. Lord, He's been dead four days. By now, the smell would be pretty bad. Scripture says he stinketh. Amen. I know what that means. I've smelled some things that stinketh. Even though the customary funeral plans had been covered, she was worried about the smell. Not only Martha probably thought that, but I guess probably the rest of the crowd, Mary and all the Jews that were around, they all probably thought the same thing. Are you kidding me? Don't you dare open that tomb. Well, in our day, we've got better at handling, if you would, dead bodies so that we can gather a few days later in the presence of that body and have a memorial service without the smell. But it's still, when I go into a funeral home, it has that funeral home smell. Amen? Now, I don't know what, what it is. I can't say it stinks, but I can tell you it's a funeral home smell. Well, we know the rest of the story. And I'm not getting into the Lazarus story there per se, but he said, Lazarus, come out of the grave alive. And he came out and was back to his normal, if you would, Lazarus self. Now, in John 12th chapter, the scripture says the next day, verse 1, 
And, and then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom's raised from the dead. Oh, it's the next day. Huh. So we're going to have the leftovers that she had prepared probably four days earlier. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But here we have him there, and he's uh, uh, walking around just being the same old Lazarus he was. Um, so we now know that he not only was dead, but now he's alive. And in verse 2, Martha makes a supper. Now that was pretty nice. And Martha served, and even Lazarus was one of them at the table. He came to breakfast that morning or dinner, whatever it was. He came to the table to eat right along with the rest of them. Now, it had been four days since he'd been to the table, but he hadn't forgotten how to eat. I know that feeling. Amen. So here we have him at the table, and it's seemingly as if nothing even happened. He's back to normal, if you would. Verse 3 is where we find the anointing taking place here that John talked about in the second verse of chapter 11 that he wanted to insert in to tell us who that Mary was he was talking about. Now at this time, Mary, if you would, arises from wherever she was at, in eating dinner, and she takes the burial ointment. Very expensive and anoints Jesus' feet. Take note, she anoints his feet. All right? I want you to know something about that. In the customary times when they lived, when they ate, they didn't sit on chairs at a table. They had kind of what you'd say benches or couches, they called them. And they would eat with the table there and their feet away from the table, probably because their feet stunk, and they would eat this way off the table, on the elbow, and they got tired of that. For dessert, they'd flip over the other way. No, I don't know whether they did that or not. But that's the way it was. So the feet were away from the table, and that made it convenient for Mary to wash his feet. How about that? Or anoint his feet. And she did it with a pound of ointment of spikenard, verse 3 says. Very costly, very expensive. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So it was a perfume that when it was put out, everybody in the place could smell it. Amen? Now at first, you might have thought that Jesus' feet might have been the ones giving off the smell. So she had to do something about that. No, that's not what it was about. Jesus' feet did not stink any more than anyone else's probably. Then it could have been that the ointment that came in a container was in a container that could not be resealed. So the ointment was going to go to waste if they didn't use it for something. And Mary was thinking, you know, we've got that leftover ointment. We put a lot of it on Lazarus at the, when we buried him four days ago, but you know, it's just going to go to waste if I don't do something with it. Actually, they probably thought um, they would go back to the gravesite again if they could get some people to move the stone and anoint the body again to try to keep the odor down. Well, 
if the container cannot be resealed for a later date, so rather than waste it, uh, that rest of that ointment, uh, she was probably uh, uh, thankful that she could share that even with Jesus. So Mary decides to use it on the one that was, she was very appreciative for coming and give her brother's life back to him. And that would be Jesus Christ. He's the one that called him out of the grave. And rather than waste the ointment, why not give it to Jesus? I don't know her total motive. I can't read her mind. Um, um, Mary's just doing what her says. But Jesus speaks for Mary down in verse 7 and says, uh, of course, in between was Judas objecting to the price. And we already preached on that in Judas. But let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. Now, I don't know if Mary let that thought cross her mind when she anointed Jesus that we're going to be burying him in a few days. So we better get a head start on anointing him. Huh. Now, the message today is preparing for the burial. And Jesus took this occasion to say that. Amen? So it has nothing to do with Judas Iscariot's greed for the money. Notice that she only anointed his feet at this account. Now, first things she may have been, and it was customary in some cases, and Jesus even did it in John the 13th chapter. He went around the table when it was him and his disciples, and he washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas Iscariot, and even Peter had an objection to that. Of course, Christ set him straight. We'll get to that as we get closer to Easter Sunday morning. But here we find she anoints his feet first, or she anoints only his feet, but in my mind, I'm thinking she probably washed his feet first. All right? I have nothing to base that on, only on what I would be thinking if I were in that room. She probably poured some water on his feet, and that's when I believe she used her hair to wipe up, if you would, the excess water or dry the feet. And then when she anoints the feet with the perfume, it's not because there's so much left over in that box that she doesn't want it to go to waste because she probably wouldn't appreciate her hair smelling like that all that much. She, but once she washed her feet, it washed his feet, dried them with her hair. She anointed that. And anointing usually is not something you just dump. And it runs everywhere. It's usually, how do you ladies put on perfume? Oh, you just pour it on top of your head and hope it works out? No. You take your finger, just like I do for anointing. A little dab here and a little, put it behind your ear. That way he'll smell it when he gets close. Right? Am I telling it right? Yes. All right, that's what I thought. I'm just going by my wife. I can't go by everybody. But that's the way she probably did it. Now, since she just did the feet, the ointment changed the smell in the entire house, the Scriptures tells us. But to a first century Jew, it was not only a pleasant smell, 
but it was also, just like the funeral homes today, probably reminded them when they smelled that, someone's passed away. It's the smell of a funeral. And Jesus goes on to tell them, and I want to put this thought in because he says it again in other places. Besides that, don't worry about the cost because the poor you'll always have, but Jesus, you're not always going to have him physically in your presence. All right, so now you know about that, preparing for a burial. Now let's go to Matthew 26 chapter. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. I want you to notice here, verse 6. Well, let me just read all this real quick because I got plenty of time today. You guys didn't hold me up much. Verse 6 says, Now Jesus was in Bethany, again, in the house of Simon the leper, not Lazarus. And there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now we know who spoke up at that point. Verse 10, And Jesus understood, and he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye will have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she poured out this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for memorial for her. How about that stuff? Isn't that cool? Now we know why she did it. But again, we find Jesus in Bethany, but at a different house. He's at a guy named Simon the leper's house. Now, how would Jesus know Simon the leper? He must have healed him. And like I said, even with Lazarus making preparation to stop by uh, their, his house on the way to Bethany, uh, he probably stopped and made arrangements at Lazarus's place, and maybe Simon the leper's, and maybe two or three others to cover the few days that he's going to be in Jerusalem, and they may have all been somebody he healed. Now, he wouldn't be called Simon the leper if he had never had leprosy. And Simon the leper wouldn't have a house if he hadn't been healed of the leprosy. He would have lived in a leper colony on the outside of the streets of town, and he would have had to have been cut off of communication from anybody else. That's the way lepers were treated. Amen. So this is a couple days after Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus's house in verse 2. But now in verse 7, there comes a woman. Unnamed woman. Having an alabaster box. You know what that is? 
It's like plaster Paris. It's like, I don't know how, you, how else to say it, but it doesn't have a lid on it, a jar and a seal. It, it doesn't have a squirt to it. it. It's not you squeeze it like toothpaste. It's not like you squeeze shampoo. It's a perfume that's in an alabaster box. And the only way you're going to get that perfume out is to break the ceramics. It's got to be broken to break that box to get it out. Amen? And it's very precious ointment and it's very expensive. And she poured it on his head. They must not have yet got to the dinner table or his head would have been next to the table and his feet would have been pointing out. Right? So now we have a situation where she had access to his head. So she breaks it open and boink, don't it on. Amen. Remember, Mary did the feet. This lady's doing the head. We don't know who it is. Doesn't say. Mary used her hair to clean up. This woman was a little bit more careful. And not only did uh, she not make a mess, because uh, I've learned in my garage, if I don't make a mess, I don't have to clean up a mess. Amen. So I'm careful. When I change somebody's oil, I don't want to make, I don't want to just spill it on my garage floor because Bonnie ain't going to clean it up. It's going to be this guy. And I hate cleaning up messes. So don't make a mess. You don't have to clean up a mess. That's, that's common, isn't it? Well, again, in verse 8 and 9, we're confronted with the waste or the money used for the poor scenario. Uh, it's the same as it was a couple of days ago. And I don't know, but what this lady is not trying to, if you would, keep up with the Joneses down the street. When she used her ointment a couple days early, the gossip of the city bay got around, and this lady said, I can do one better than that. I'll anoint his head. How about that stuff? I don't know as that even came into thought. But it's as if they had forgotten when they were arguing over, why wasn't that sold and the money given to the poor? It's as if they forgot what Jesus taught them two days earlier when he told them, you're going to always have the poor. You know, it's not anything to do with that. So here we have, in verse 10 and 11, is a repeat, if you would, of what Jesus said about Mary's anointing of his feet. In verse 12, he tells the purpose of this anointing. It's preparing for a burial. In verse 13, Verily I say unto you. You know what that means? In other words, don't forget this act because he goes on to say, this is a memorial for her. Amen? Yes? And as if we read this story today, we remember her. Even though she remains nameless. Now remember, to Jesus, your actions mean more to him than your name. You got to do what's right for Jesus if nobody else ever hears about it. They'll hear about the act, 
even though they don't hear the name of the one that did the act. Amen? Well, in Mark 14, verses 3 through 9, we have another account of this anointing at, at the Simon the leper's house. Again, uh, it is almost verbatim. It's almost word for word how uh, a lady, unnamed lady, comes to Simon the leper's house. Again, anoints the head of Jesus, not the feet. Now, to me, it's refreshing to know that two different writers in gospel writing inspired by the same Holy Spirit now tell of the exact same account almost word for word in the life of Jesus in preparing for his burial. Isn't that something? Oh, it's almost word for word what you read in Mark 14 or in Matthew 26. The only person at all these anointings that was aware of Jesus' soon-to-come burial was Jesus. Amen. Now, any of you know what day you're going to be buried? No. No, none of them knew either. Amen. And even if it's, if you would, out of time like Lazarus was, well, Jesus will just call him out and and he'll have to do it all over again some other day down the road. Amen? But Jesus was the only one that was aware of his burial to come. Yet his presence was so inviting by the people that he touched, whether it be Simon the leper or Lazarus the dead man, his, in, his presence was so inviting that these anointings in the mind of God prompted these women to perform these acts not only to prepare for burial but as an expression of gratitude of Jesus' acts on the lives around him. Amen? It's often been said if you could buy salvation there would be people that would be willing to write you a check but they're not willing to do the acts that Christ asks us to do that if you would opens the door or opens our eyes to the salvation and the will of God that he wants us to be. Amen? So for us today, what should we do in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us and those we love? Can't write him a check. Can't anoint him. The only thing left is to live a life that brings glory to the Father for giving us his Son. Amen? Remember, that's what I said right from the beginning. That's why he raised Lazarus from the dead, to give the glory to God. Amen? Amen. Now, if you'd have been there, would you have shared in the expense or would you have complained about the expense? It seems like you would have been on one side 
or the other. Amen? Well, what have you got on your heart for today for Jesus? What can you do for him that lets him know you're still interested in knowing his will and performing his will to the glory of God? Amen? Whatever it is, don't miss out on the opportunity to do that. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it. Let us stand. Father, we thank